Okay, I might just need a moment to pinch myself that this is now an actual living thing and not just an idea for a podcast in my imagination. I experienced a ton of self-doubt in bringing this podcast to life, but we're here and I'm so excited to welcome you to the very first episode of Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. Hello everyone, I'm Sass Petherick, welcome. I'm so excited about the guests we have lined up and the topics I'm planning to cover in this first season of the podcast. We're talking about all things related to the fascinating phenomena that is self-doubt. And my heartfelt intention is that you find Courage and Spice interesting and helpful and that these conversations inspire you to both understand your own experience of self-doubt and to access some really great resources to help you do your thing in the world. So if self-doubt is holding you back in your relationships, with your creativity, your work or your business, then Courage and Spice is especially for you. In this first episode, I thought I'd spend a little bit of time sharing my story and talking about how I came to be this fascinated by self-doubt. I also wanted to share with you how and why we experience self-doubt. And the idea is that this will set up a bit of a foundation for some upcoming episodes where we dive into these topics uh, in a much deeper way. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm originally from New Zealand, which you may have picked up, and I've lived in England since 2002. I've been a self-employed coach for the last seven years, and I work primarily with women-identified humans. I work one-to-one, and I have a group program called Your Self-Belief Map. Uh, I'm a natural extrovert, so I love meeting up in person, and I run an occasional workshop called Write Yourself Home, and I also host an annual retreat each November in the Cotswolds. It's a beautiful part of the country. I also mentor other coaches to create and grow their coaching practices and I have a couple of programs that are specifically designed for coaches. But at the heart of all of my work is about helping people to navigate through self-doubt and cultivate self-belief. So I'm sitting here in my home office with a hot cup of black coffee. I'm wrapped in a cardigan because it's the height of British summer. But it does feel like no small miracle to me that I'm able to spend my days here doing work that is incredibly meaningful to me and mostly feeling pretty fulfilled by my life. It wasn't that long ago that I could have really bloody used this podcast. So as I mentioned, I came to the UK about 15 years ago and I was on this big adventure. As a teenager, I had a map of the world on my bedroom wall and I was determined to visit every country. I'd never really felt like I fitted in in New Zealand. Uh, I was pretty desperate to leave and to see the whole planet. But within a few months of arriving here, my beloved mum died suddenly. She was only 53. And after, year, uh, after a year of me being just completely overwhelmed by grief, my first husband left me for someone who was much happier. And I found that the cure for my loss, the best cure by far, uh, was vodka. At the time, I was a rather ambitious management consultant. I was working long hours for lots of money. But after mum died, it all began to feel increasingly soulless to me. 
So every chance I had, I went traveling. I was adventuring and partying and in hindsight, putting myself in often quite risky situations. And back then, I was pretty judgmental, sarcastic. I was trying to control this world that suddenly felt incredibly ambiguous and uncertain. And I was encased in some pretty thick emotional armor that alcohol was a huge part of. I think I was a bit terrified of my own company, so I was constantly surrounded by people. I thought if I was alone for too long, my sadness would somehow swallow me up and just push away everyone who cared about me. So I said yes to everything and everyone, especially the things I didn't really want to do because I couldn't trust myself. I didn't really know myself. And it all led me down a rabbit hole of feeling quite lost. It wasn't until I was scheduling time in my workday to go and have a cry in the loo that I realised that things might not be okay and that I wasn't coping. But I didn't even know how to articulate what I was feeling, let alone ask for help. And my greatest fear was that people would see me for who I really was and somehow I would end up alone. From the outside looking in, I was pretty successful. I had this massive job and a big salary. I lived in a lovely part of London, travelled regularly. It all looked pretty good. But I was also around 70 pounds overweight. I was using food and drink to numb out anything that was hard to feel. I was convinced that I would do or say something that would cause me to be fired or for my partner to leave me. So I was constantly second-guessing myself. My confidence was shot to pieces. And I was feeling increasingly fragile in a really stressful job. And eventually it all came on top of me and I burnt out completely. So my self-doubt kind of became this self-fulfilling prophecy. All my worst fears came true. I had to come clean to my friends, to my partner. I ended up leaving my job. And it was this odd feeling of utter failure mixed with complete relief. I remember waking up that first Monday morning and after all of this time where work had been my salvation and my source of confidence, for the first time in my adult life no one was expecting anything from me and I didn't have a job title. And honestly it was completely bloody terrifying. But it did turn out to be an important catalyst. And over the next few months, I made an intentional decision to give up drinking. I started taking better care of myself. Uh, I was sleeping much better. I was reading, baking, spending time with people I cared about. And I saw a therapist. Eventually, I went back to work as a more vulnerable, patient, softer version of myself. But I found that in the intervening months, my ambition for corporate stardom had just evaporated. And that led me down a path of retraining as a coach. And you know, I think I just got really lucky because from that very first morning of training uh, at the Coaches Training Institute in London, uh, it just felt like coming home, like this was the work I was meant to do. And I started a side business in the evenings and weekends while I was training. It was so certain to me that this was what I was supposed to do with my life. 
and I started saving madly, harboring this dream that somehow, someday, I'd be able to do this work full time. But this did not happen in a straight line. (laughs) It did not happen quickly. It was not easy. Uh, And it was very much a process of doing my apprenticeship, uh, learning how to be a coach, how to listen and to ask powerful questions, how to create a safe container for people just to work their stuff out. Uh, Eventually, we'd found that staying in London was not compatible with starting a business. And so we decided to leave. We moved out to where we are now in Berkshire. And that allowed me some breathing room to develop my methodology for coaching, to explore what this actually meant around running a business and the craziness that that can induce when you're working online and often alone. And I decided to uh, enroll in a pretty rigorous master's program at Oxford Brookes University. And my dissertation ended up being a qualitative study on the experience of self-doubt. It was this huge turning point because all of my personal experience and my coach training kind of culminated in this 20,000 word essay uh, where I just had to formulate my ideas And spending all that time researching the existing studies around self-doubt and what had gone before me helped me to weave together the threads of my own experience. I started to understand so much more about why I had spent my life pretending to be confident, why I was prone to over-delivering and people-pleasing, why I kept dating these charming bastards and how I procrastinated and numbed out to avoid any kind of emotional discomfort or vulnerability. And this was coupled with the academic rigour that required me to think quite critically and objectively about this really subjective phenomenon of self-doubt, why it's here, how it shows up, what are the ways we can overcome it. So all of this helped me to make sense of my own experience of self-doubt, And I kind of became hooked on the tentacles that it weaves into our lives. And over time, this has become the focus of my coaching practice. And I get to work with the most amazing women. And one of my clients uh, who is becoming a friend is Sarah Tasker from meandorla.co.uk, who I'm sure most of you will know. Um, And she is such an inspiration to me about how to show up online. And a few months ago, Sarah interviewed me on her brilliant podcast, Hashtag Authentic. It's such a great listen. I'll definitely include the link in the show notes. And we talked about self-doubt and how it holds us back from creativity. And I just loved our conversation. We had the most amazing response from creatives and business owners and folks who just experienced self-doubt. There was a ton of me too's and it just planted this idea that I wanted to keep having these conversations to explore what I know about self-doubt and how it can help, uh, how understanding it can help us to overcome it or at least navigate through it. So here we are. (laughs) Um, So let's talk a little bit about about self-doubt and what I understand it to be. And I found that my take on this is quite different from what I see out there in the world. So my hope is that this episode will give you a bit of a fresh perspective on your own experience of self-doubt and just set the scene for some of the upcoming episodes that we have in this season. 
So often we don't even know we are actually experiencing self-doubt until we see the symptoms of it. So procrastination, hiding, watching from the sidelines, being stuck in research mode, or over-delivering, people-pleasing, constantly comparing ourselves with others and feeling like an imposter. This is how self-doubt tends to show up, and it probably sounds really familiar. But we often believe that this is our self-doubt, and I don't think it is. I believe that these are the symptoms of our self-doubt. They're actually how we're responding to it, and this is what we do to resist it often. Which explains why if you Google the five easy ways to beat procrastination, which is a great way of losing a morning, um, the tactics you find might work for a while, but it's important to recognize that they will be addressing the symptoms of your self-doubt, procrastination, rather than the cause. So let's talk a little bit about the cause. As humans, we are hardwired for two things, creativity and connection. So we're not the smartest, fastest, or fiercest creatures on the planet, but we do have the most sophisticated levels of socialization, and we're able to solve complex problems. So our creativity and our connection are really fundamental keys to our survival. So this means that whenever we imagine doing anything that contains a small risk to that creativity or connection, it triggers a part of our brain called the amygdala. Now, this amygdala is associated with processing memories, decision-making, and emotional responses. It's kind of the risk manager part of our brain. Some people call the amygdala the lizard brain because it's the oldest part of us from an evolutionary standpoint. And it manages our flight-fight-freeze response which was super helpful when we did have things like saber-toothed tigers living in the village. But the thing to remember is that the amygdala is a pretty unsophisticated tool. It can't tell the difference between a physical risk and a psychological risk. So whenever we're taking a psychological risk, our amygdala will be triggered. It's alert to anything that we believe has the potential to harm us. And this is really important to notice that the beliefs that trigger the risk manager part of our psyche are completely subjective. So for one person, writing a blog post might feel like a huge psychological risk. For someone else, it could be having a really difficult conversation with a member of their team. And for another person, it's just the thought of marketing their business. So it's all about the level of risk we believe is present. So not only is our perception of risk completely subjective, but so is our response to it. Uh, it's a, called a phenomenological experience, and that's just a fancy word for the very personal and dynamic nature of that alarm going off, of our amygdala being triggered. So you might hear a critical voice in your head. You might have a sense of dread or doom. You might experience physical sensations like a constriction or a heavy weight in your body. You might see images in your mind, perhaps memories of the past or predictions of the future, usually a worst case scenario. And for me, that's living as a bag lady under a bridge smelling of cat wee. 
Now, this experience of that alarm, that is your actual self-doubt. So the protector part of our psyche that's always braced for anyone or anything that could harm us will sense the risk that triggers the amygdala. And the amygdala will set off that alarm within us, the combination of sensations and thoughts and feelings. That's our version of self-doubt. And this is so we're aware of the risk. It's why it feels so damn uncomfortable. It can be really useful to know that this is exactly what our amygdala is trying to do. It's alerting us to psychological risk and protecting us from whatever we perceive that risk to be. So when we're working hard to avoid or resist the discomfort, then that is exactly what it's designed to do. It just means the system is working. Now, most of us have a style of resistance that feels quite comfortable and familiar. And these are what I call the five P's. And I thought we could go through these so you could see if you recognize your own style of resistance um, from this list. So the first P is procrastination. And this is my old friend. It's uh, when you're taking any action to deflect the discomfort or avoid any anticipated discomfort. So I'm a procrastinator baker, right? As soon as I start to feel that self-doubt, I tend to uh, feel a compulsion to get out a cake tin. Uh, and this is a way for me to avoid that discomfort. The thing is, it's quite deceptive because procrastination can actually be super productive. But the key thing to remember is that we aren't doing anything that will progress whatever has triggered our risk. So that's procrastination. Second thing is perfectionism, right? And this is waiting until it's perfect. We feel ready. We get a sign from the universe. Uh, this can also look like finding fault with what we've created or the circumstances at large or ourselves, right? And it's a, it's a way of um, never quite committing, the third P is passive behaviors. And these are all the ways we choose to numb ourselves from that discomfort, uh, like eating or drinking, shopping, scrolling, watching box sets. It's effectively a freeze response, right? If you think about the fight, flight, freeze. And when we're engaging in passive behaviors, nothing's really required of us. We're just consuming. It's a super effective distraction. Okay, the fourth P is proving yourself. And that's when you're constantly delivering, working, going for the next goal, but often not enjoying the process or claiming any of the success that you've achieved. You might find you compare yourself to others or feel like you're waiting to be found out. And this is perhaps the most insidious response to self-doubt because it carries a lot of favor in our doing and achieving culture. The fifth P is paralysis. And this encompasses all the ways that we hide. So sleeping, brain fog, feeling stuck, finding all the reasons why it's too hard to even start. 
And I see this a lot with the business owners that I work with who are in the early stages of setting up where self-doubt is rife and you often don't know even what the first step is. So you might find you're watching from the sidelines or stuck in research, enrolling in every business e-course you can find, but never quite applying your learning. So there's the five P's. I wonder if you recognize yourself in, in any of those styles of resistance of how we respond to self-doubt. The thing is that most of us will get stuck in that resistance mode for at least a little while. And this makes complete sense, right? Because our resistance is what helps us avoid all that awfulness we believe will happen if we take the psychological risk. Now, the unfortunate thing is that we get stuck in our resistance and then we're likely, more likely, to experience the feelings of rejection and disappointment because the dreams and desires we have, the ones that triggered the self-doubt in the first place, are unlikely to be fulfilled. So it's completely understandable that most of us will make it mean that the reason we're not able to act, actualize our dreams and desires is because there's something wrong with us. Right? We're lazy, stupid, distracted, talentless, we don't deserve our success, or we attribute it to luck. But the only conclusion we can draw from our self-doubt and from the resistance it creates is that that protective part of our psyche, that amygdala, is doing an excellent job. Now, if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that self-doubt has absolutely nothing to do with your success. It has nothing to do with your talent or your capability. And often the more success we experience, the more we have to lose. So it can actually exacerbate self-doubt in all the ways we try to resist it. Now the other thing to know is that your self-doubt is not just about you. None of us live in a vacuum and our culture is very interested in exploiting the doubts and fears and worries we have about our own value and worthiness. I'm going to be talking to Dr. Tom Schuler about this in an upcoming episode, but recognize that women consistently work below their level of competence in all Western countries. In the UK, we're subject to a pay gap of 18%. There are more millionaires than women in the current UK government, and there are only seven women chief execs in the FTSE 100. 80% of those working in the low-paid care and leisure sector are women. Advertisers, uh, newspapers, laws, market forces all send a clear message that women need to be thin, young, white, and good to have value in our culture. So as women, we're constantly navigating that space between the sticky floor of our own self-doubt and the glass ceiling of a patriarchal culture that doesn't see much value in rocking the boat. So frankly, if we're going to create the world that I believe we all want to live in, if we're going to become more engaged and empowered and represented around decision-making tables, if we're going to develop these value-led, heart-centered, creative businesses, if we're going to show up in our relationships and families as healthy humans, I passionately believe that we need to understand self-doubt and how it holds us back. 
we can absolutely loosen the grip that self-doubt has on us. We can understand the specific reasons behind the risks and fears we hold and we can navigate ourselves towards self-belief, self-acceptance and self-trust. These are, in my opinion, the best kind of selfies. But to do this, we have to go into our self-doubt. And this can feel so counterintuitive when our natural inclination is to resist the discomfort of taking psychological risks. But by going into our self-doubt, we start to understand our particular flavor of it. And we face the thing that feels unfaceable. Because as Dr. Phil, I think, once said, monsters live in the dark. So we're trying to shine a light on this to help us to make sense of it, to develop resources within us to combat it and to help us to grow through it. So that's kind of what Courage and Spice is all about. We're going to change the bloody world in one podcast. In upcoming episodes, we'll be exploring uh, a rich mix of conversations with folks who appear to be defying self-doubt, some research-led approaches for helping you navigate through it, and real-life stories to just completely normalize your experience of self-doubt. If this is holding you back in your life, uh, my heartfelt intention is that you feel inspired to just lean into your own courage and your spice, those unique qualities and values, experiences and skills that make you a completely unrepeatable one-off. Now you can see the show notes for this episode by going to courageandspice.com And you can subscribe, rate and review Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.